Hey everybody, Tyler here. Quick note on today's episode. Uh, due to some scheduling stuff, we had to record this a few days prior to the start of the regular season, so uh, we aren't able to get into the Tanner Scott and Cole Salser trade in this episode or the opening day rosters. Uh, so if you hear anything that's a little bit out of date, that would be the reason why. Uh, we will definitely touch on those things in our first episode after the season gets started. But uh, until then, thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And boys, the season is is coming up. We we are recording this now on Sunday the third. Opening day is what Friday the ninth or the eighth, correct? Eighth. Which is just like wild. A few weeks ago, you guys were thinking we weren't going to have baseball till May. Now we've got right. it at the end of like the first week of April. Are you hyped? Yeah, definitely well, hyped. Uh, it's it's a little bizarre that it's uh, opening days on a Friday. That does yeah. not normally happen. But yeah. Okay. I just want to say we we already apologized for the May <laughs> prediction. We know that was wrong. You don't have to throw it in our face Look, again. That's how it goes. You bring things up over and over again to humiliate your co-host. That's what pod. <laughs> that's what podcasting is. The heart of podcasting. <laughs> I, I think I said it was going to be a couple weeks delayed too. I think too. So we were all far far off uh, what actually happened. So don't feel too bad. We're, we're yeah. pleasantly surprised. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing is like this time of year. It's sort of a disease, I think, that I know the Orioles are going to be bad. Just as I have known the previous, like, four or five seasons, they were going to be bad. And I, yet I'm still very excited <laughs> for the season yeah. to start. And there's still hope for, it, you know, like, you just attach your hope to different things. It's like, oh, now I hope, you know, Adley heals up and he's here in a couple of weeks. Now I hope, et cetera, et cetera. Not, I actually hope the Orioles are good this year. Yeah. I'd like, I'm, I'm excited about Jordan Lyles right now. He's pitched eight pretty good innings and that... Oh, yeah. He's going to turn around, and as 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 a thirty two year old, you often break out right and have your best season ever. So right, you know he he had a two eight seven ERA in September, and so if we can just lock into that, we have a Cy Young candidate here. Yeah, I'm all about yeah. small. I, I think I said I wrote you know at CamdenChat.com something about like you completely ignore the statistics in spring training unless they are really positive. Then you completely <laughs> right. buy in. <laughs> That's why everybody was on the Eusenio Diaz hype train for a while. Yeah. And he got like, he got demoted like the very next day. A lot of emotions this time of year. Yeah. yeah. And we had, a, we had a few guys who had really good springs. So that many of them who are not going to be here, but yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I was kind of thinking like, as far as, a, as happy as you can be with a spring is kind of where I'm at with the Orioles. Like, They've won some games. They're near like the top of the standings, quote unquote, of the Grapefruit League. Some of the prospects got to play. There's been some positives. Like, I'm happy with how the spring has gone versus have you seen what the Washington Nationals are doing? That's not so good. It's true. Anibal Sanchez gave up like 15 runs in one inning the other day. Yeah. So it's, I think it was the first time that they had or that there had ever been two pitchers who gave up du- double digit runs in a spring training game yeah it's uh it's not very sad yeah (laughs) i don't know why nelson cruz signed there strange (laughs) (laughs) i think that nelson cruz wants part of his legacy to be i turned one soto into a like 400 600 800 hitter rather than the 300 (laughs) 400 500 that he is now that would be pretty cool. And let's, I mean, yeah. Cruz is probably going to get traded, I would think, at some point this year. There's no way he stays there all year, right? I don't know. It's fair. We'll see. I don't know. 
he, he's kind the, of just the, at the the Nats do some weird like veteran things like this, like you know the early two thousands Orioles where they just kind of bring somebody in because he was good and that's the only like <laughs> move. Yeah, that's all know. it is. I don't know. Ah, the days of Vladimir Guerrero in an Orioles uniform. Nailed it. Sammy Sosa, <laughs> baby. Jim Tomei. Oh, I know the Sammy Sosa trade. We had to give up Jerry Hairston Jr. for him. I remember that because I had like a Hairston shirt or something and I was I was devastated. But tragic. <laughs> just going back for a second, like oh, yeah. you commented what are we talking on about? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was just I was just saying you commented on the Orioles good spring, you know, we're eight and five. We're only a half game back of the Astros, you know. And back, uh yeah. so I I was just kind of like <laughs> you know, pondering like, would it be possible at some point for like the league to a tr- uh, to attach like a draft pick, you know, <laughs> to or a couple draft picks for like you know who comes in first, second, and third in like the cactus league and the grapefruit league. Like, can well, we do so something? never in a million years. Did you enjoy the All Star game when it determined home field advantage in the World Series? No, no, you, no, were, no. you were one of the guys that was no, into that. That's a, <laughs> not at all. That is very I'm, very different. But I uh, mean, I don't know. They're just. <laughs> I don't know. I want like even if it's like something so no. trivial and so benign, like I don't know. Uh, you know, I kind of want there to be some some little, you know, no prize. Or I disagree entirely. Claim or something. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, no. the beautiful part of spring training is that there is nothing. absolutely nothing tied to yeah, it, and true. it's just so nice to just go out and it's like, you know, you're just kind of vibing. Yeah. Yeah. like you could win the game you could be the nationals and lose by 20 plus runs you know and it just makes absolutely no difference right that's you guys true. came out they got some work and yeah. that's all there is to it <laughs> maybe it says something bad about like my you know competitive nature you know that yeah. there has to be something attached to this right you gotta relax just to step back and yeah. it's not always about competition all the time, you know. The, so, yeah. the spring is about getting pictures of like veteran players in uniforms that you never, you don't remember they wore. We have Felix Hernandez last year with the Orioles. Remember the Orioles had Johan Santana in spring like a decade ago? Yep. Like that's what the spring is about. And I feel like you're going to disincentivize that with that idiotic idea you just threw out there that I think you're the only person in the world that has that belief. So we'll just ignore yeah, that. <laughs> We're yeah. voting Jesse off the podcast is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. Well, I guess we'll talk about some actual things that are happening. Um, so this is going to be our kind of season preview for the major league Orioles. And then we're going to do a separate episode that previews um, the minor leaguers. So check that out. Uh, I want to say at the top here, you should subscribe to the podcast. I think we typically leave that till the end. We should put it at the front, subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, all the different places, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, we're everywhere. Uh, subscribe to us there and give us a rating. Um, I think the Orioles are going to turn a corner over this next year or two, and hopefully the podcast can join them. Um, so get involved and please subscribe and share us with other people. All right. So let's talk season preview. Uh, the What do we want to start with? Do we want to start with roster pro- projections, predictions, or do we want to start kind of with like discussion questions? What did you guys have in mind? I'm thinking start big. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Just so, get, get get the vibes for the upcoming season. You know. Okay. Let's like let's start there. So what are we look What are we thinking about for the season ahead? We I think we all are in agreement. The Orioles are not going to be particularly good, 
but we maybe want to see some progress in the win-loss column. So, Eli, what do you constitute as, like, what makes a successful season for the 2022 Baltimore Orioles? Yeah, I'm not sure I really have a number of wins. I I think that if we take a look at ourselves, there are – maybe like three players, maybe four players on the major league roster that are going to be key pieces of the next good Orioles team. And that's Mullins. That's, you know, maybe means Mount castle. And maybe you could even throw like a Tyler Wells in there um, as somebody who's kind of turning into a piece, but by and large, we're not going to count on Jorge Mateo. We're not going to count on, the majority of the people constituting the Orioles lineup nowadays. So I think if you take a look and you say what really makes you happy with this season, it's just about getting the Rutschmans, the Rodriguez's, the Bradishes, the Halls, getting them up and getting their feet wet. I don't even think that they necessarily have to perform that well. You know, there's inherently going to be some struggle making the jump to the major leagues. Um, in recent years, a lot of people say the gap between AAA and the major leagues has been widening. So the minors are getting, or I don't know, the major leagues are getting better relative to the minors. Uh, I think getting them up here, getting their feet wet and keeping them healthy is really what dictates a successful season for me. I have very low expectations and I'm not like even setting hopes for win loss totals. But I do think that the Orioles can win. I don't know. I think that we can not lose 100 games. I think we can win 67 to 70, somewhere in that range. Um, that's Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, might be a little prediction. Hopeful. Might that's be a little a big hopeful. Prediction. Yeah. Well, th- you know, that's assuming that Adley is healthy in here in a month. And that automatically inserts, you know, a like power hitting, you know, switch hitter right in the middle of our lineup um, that assumes that, you know, reinforcements are going to come and like the Keegan Akins of the world will not be making starts from July on. These are my assumptions. Um, Yes. Well, a couple things. So one, I mean, you know, at least I'm very disappointed. You didn't just give us a number, right? Well, we have that in the wins. outline. We have that in the outline later. We're going to make specific <laughs> predictions. Oh, 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 got you. Okay. Jesse did not. I'm going to get ahead of myself. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I did. I did. Um, but uh, I mean, one of the things I guess, I mean, so first of all, like overall, you know, I mean, you've said exactly basically what I was going to say, right? Which is, you know, yeah, the wins and losses really doesn't matter. What really matters is just like the development of these key players, um, you know, here and there uh, that are scattered throughout our roster um, or either the development or the continued progress of like Mullins and Mountcastle, et cetera. Right. Um, I, th- I also think um, I, I mean, I also do think there is like an opera, you know, one other big kind of important thing is also just like information right some of the guys 
like Jorge Mateo, like, is this a guy that maybe won't start, you know, maybe might not be a centerpiece, right, moving forward, but, like, can we find a role for him on the team, you know, in the next couple years, right, Um, when the Orioles do hopefully turn this corner, right, Um, and then also, you know, I'm also thinking about a lot of the pitchers, right, like, okay, let's learn about Dean Kramer, you know, is this, is this a guy who is going to be, able to be a piece whether it be a four or five or whether it be some sort of bullpen role moving forward um you know they're guys all like this right that i think the orioles do have a lot of players kind of on this uh this edge right of okay well they might be you know at least in some sort of capacity a contributor whether it be a uh somebody going up and down between triple a and the majors or um so, or whether they're just not good enough to cut it entirely right um i think also it's going to be very important for the orioles to discover these sorts of things with actually like a, a good chunk of the players on the orioles roster right now so yeah i mean i don't have i don't have too much to add i think for me like i'm really specifically th- looking at the pitchers the this season because as far as prospects go, like we know Adley's going to be up at some point, provided he's healthy, yada, yada, yada. And I just expect him to be pretty good. I'm not saying he's going to win rookie of the year, whatever, but I think Adley's going to come up, be really good. And that's sort of a known commodity at this point. I think the pitching is much more um, ambiguous. <clears throat> the starters in particular were awful last year. Uh, as a group, all the Orioles starters had a 5.99 ERA, which is the worst mark in baseball. And that includes John Means having like a pretty good season, throwing a no hitter. I mean, minus John Means, this is like a, it was a total disaster. Um, this year, Means is back. Jordan Lyles is also not good, but he is better than Matt Harvey. <laughs> he is better than a lot of the pitchers they had last year. So I expect that to be improved. And then, you know, I want to see, I want to see the crop of like, fringy kind of guys the Kramers the Akins the the Alex Wells the Zach Lothers be serviceable and I want to see Bradish and Rodriguez come up and start games um I don't think we can expect them to be you know workhorses right away I think Rodriguez threw like 105 innings last year so he's not gonna come up and and spend the entire season in the rotation because you got to add minor league innings plus major league innings. I think we could expect him to throw like 130, 140 total innings across the two levels. Um, But just to see those guys come up and show that they are part of the solution here, because I think this year is kind of the year of sorting some of the pitching out. And next year is going to be a lot of the lineup coming together, the Westbergs, the Hendersons, maybe Kobe Mayo, if he's really, really good this year, Um, Colton Kowser. So I think this year I just am really focused on the arms being like, just I don't know major league quality versus whatever it was that we saw last year so again wins I don't I don't tie wins too much to the success here because I think it's going to be a lot of losing um and the division as a in general I think is as good as it was last year maybe a little better and last year the other four teams all won 91 or more games so we're gonna lose a lot um so I'm I'm, that, I'm not too too concerned about the win loss record now. Brandon Hyde might be because <laughs> that's a whole different topic, but um, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand right now. So one little note that we did not mention anywhere in our outline or anything, but so yeah, this is kind of tangential, but we're going to roll with it. Thrown into the CBA was the like reworking of the MLB schedule such that. 
um, it's going to be more balanced in 2023 and on. Instead of 19 games against every team in the division, we're only going to play 14 games. And you will end up playing all the other 29 teams in MLB. And I think this bodes extremely well for the Orioles. (laughs) I mean, it, it is nearly impossible to like develop talent at the major league level, you know, when they have to come up and they have to face the Yankees, you know, and John Carlos Stanton hits a ball 475 feet and instantly your rookie pitcher, you know, <laughs> is not in a situation where he can try to work through a jam, you know, now he's four runs down, you got to kick him out of the game. Um, I think that this really will, um, I, I don't know, I, I think it's a really good indication for the Orioles moving forward that we won't constantly be up against these other like behemoth teams and, you know, you can measure us. Well, I I guess one argument is people have always said, you know, despite the Orioles having one of the worst records, they might not necessarily be the worst team. It's just that we play, you know, what is it? 76 games against the Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays, who, as Tyler said, all won 90 plus games last year. Um, So while we are, definitely not a good team our record probably is not indicative of how good the Orioles actually are um and this will hopefully hopefully help improve that I've always felt for a long time that uh that uh each team should play every team at least one series a year right and it's always it's always bothered me that you know we every four years or whatever it was we would end up playing the giants you know or every four years you know we would make a trip out to san diego you know so i'm glad that um yeah i'm i'm definitely excited about the the adjustment not just from the orioles perspective but also you know we get to watch more more teams and see different players and that's really exciting so yeah i mean you know the division setup is clearly like built so that in the playoffs different geographic regions are all interested because you got a california team and a new york team and a, you know I think the way things are going, it's kind of moving towards maybe having like ALNL sort of like it was a long time ago. And it's going to be like the top performing teams make the playoffs because you're all playing each other. And that makes the most fair, you know, setup to get playoff teams because they've talked about expansion. They're probably going to add a team in like Tennessee and a team in Oregon or, or something like that. You're going to have even they're going to, they're going to redistribute the divisions at some point is probably what's going to happen. Now that's not happening within this CBA and it's not really super relevant to what we were just talking about. But as far as like, yeah, next year, you know, the Orioles get to play maybe the, the Tigers a little bit more often or the athletics who are tearing everything down like that bodes well for us versus yeah, playing um, just all the really good teams. Cause you know, the Yankees and Red Sox are always good. And right now the, the Blue Jays and Rays are really good and it's just, kind of impossible not impossible but very uh very difficult um so yeah good point Eli um so okay I mean that's kind of sort of what, what we're kind of looking at for for the season ahead in terms of vibes as Eli kind of put it there um so do we want to get into more specific predictions now um so do we want to give a win total expectation first um I think the over under I just looked it up this is on vegasinsider.com however reputable that is but <laughs> it, it has the Orioles at um 60 oh odds are provided by DraftKings okay so that's something uh it has the Orioles at over under 62 and a half 
wins. So are they going to lose 100 games or are they not going to lose 100 games? Um, Eli, you kind of alluded to where you're at there. So you think over, right? I think over. And I will I'll put them at 60, <laughs> 68 wins. Okay. I just upgraded from 67 in the last three seconds. <laughs> Some new information came in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to recalculate. Um, okay, cool. And Jesse, you sound like you're going to go under? Yeah, I'm going under. I'm going to have them at 58. Um, now, they I mean, won this, 52 last year. That's right. That's enough. exactly what I was going to say. They won 52 last year. So a lot of, a lot of things would have to go a lot better uh, in order for Eli's prediction to come true. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there will be a, a slight improvement. I think the Orioles will you know, get a little bit of a boost from some of these guys coming up when Adley gets here, Bradish, et cetera, uh, coming, uh, Hall, you know, among others. Um, you know, I think the Orioles throughout the course of the season will be able to inject, you know, some exciting sort of talent into the roster, which might propel them uh, to get a few more wins than they did last season. But overall, structurally, uh, I think the starting pitching is going to be very, very uh, bad. <laughs> um, I was going to find a different word than bad, but uh, it's all that really came to mind. Um, so I think the starting pitching is going to be bad. Um, and I, I think over the course of a long season, you know, we have a good bullpen. Uh, it looks like that we have uh, the possibility for a good bullpen. We were excited about the bullpen last year. Um, you know, coming into the season, uh, work out but, very well, <laughs> right? But but so much of how well the bullpen does is tied to how well the starting pitching does, and it doesn't seem like the starting pitching is really going to make vast improvements this year. I feel like we're going to have a lot of short outings, guys that don't eat up a lot of innings. Uh, the exception being Lyles and Means, if Means stays healthy this year, right? So, um. You know, we're going to find out, but uh, yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of volatility in the starting pitching, and uh, I, I really think that is going to lead to a lot of on-season, uh, on-field struggles for the Orioles. So, Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I'm going to go slightly over at 64 wins. Um, so just to give you kind of the rundown of the division on these, these win total uh, over-unders, it's got the Blue Jays as the favorite at 92 and a half wins, the Yankees in second at 91 and a half, then the Rays at 89 and a half, and then finally the Red Sox at 85 and a half. Um, the Red Sox are probably a little bit worse than last year. They they lost Eduardo Rodriguez, but they got Trevor Story. You know, we'll see. Uh, Chris Sale's back, I think. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I see the and the Red Sox went to the ALCS last year, um, but. I think they're probably a little bit worse. The Rays, I don't, they don't feel like a hundred win team, but the Rays never feel like a hundred win team. And then they just win a hundred games anyway. It's infuriating. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is infuriating. Although I I don't know, eventually the league's got to catch up to Tampa, right. In some way, shape or form you, they, they don't spend money yet. They develop arms nonstop and they always have a ridiculous pitching staff and they score, then they score a ton of runs for like out of nowhere too. It's just eventually the league got to catch up to some some degree. So I think there's what I'm kind of just trying to say is I think there's been enough movement down from the rest of the division to get the Orioles a few more wins. Now, 52 to 64 is a lot. 12 more wins is huge, but I do think those changes paired with, I think the pitching will be enough better. And I think the, uh, the lineup is a little bit more 
a little bit more secure this year for the Orioles than it was a season ago. So all that adds up to a slightly above that 62 and a half over under to 64 wins and 98 losses. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you talk about the Rays scoring runs and it's like, how do they do it? It's so bizarre. You know, they have like G man Choi and Yandy Diaz, like platoon hitting like four in their order so often, you know, and it's like, they're good, like decent quality players, but you would never think they would be four hitters in, you know, this monster, like a great team right in the middle of the AL East, but they get runs and they, you know, put buns down and scratch and claw, and then they have some pop too. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That's really what's so crazy about them is that like they platoon everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, just everybody like, you know, maybe Wander Franco will play every game this year, but you know, like he hits righties a little bit worse. Yeah. So (laughs) maybe like, I I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, like Jesse (laughs) said, they're, they're four spot. Is, you know, the cleanup hitter is a platoon. Yandi hits against lefties. G-Man Choi hits against righties. And that's what they do best is they just find matchups for their guys. They find these advantageous situations. And quite frankly, they never have to go sign an elite talent because they're so, so good at finding these situations that maximize the talent that they do have. And, and then they have a player like Brandon Lau, who was like a fine prospect, Mer- University of Maryland guy, just yep. comes up and it, it's 39 bombs last year and is now like right. the best second baseman in baseball offensively. <laughs> like what? There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and so him, him and Franco together, together is like one of the best middle infield tandems in the league out of, I mean, Franco has been an Uber prospect for forever, but they just, they just know what. The, and then also they fleeced the Pirates a couple of years ago. That was for Chris Archer. That helps. Yeah, um, yeah. Shane Boz really hasn't even had a full season at the major league level, too. It, that's the most ridiculous part of it. Yeah, and they ended up with Chris Archer again last year. Although I think he's somewhere <laughs> else now. But just, I don't think he's signed yet. Yeah, but free agent. But, okay, okay. So that's our win totals. Um, now we get into like I don't know some more general topics here because the Orioles infield is very unsettled. We will talk, we're going to reveal like our 28 man roster predictions for opening day. Cause we are again, recording this a little bit early, but the infield is very unsettled apart from probably Ryan Mountcastle playing the bulk of the innings at first base. So I wanted to talk like the rest of the infield and maybe what, who we think is going to play most of the time at the respective infield position, second, third, short, We've got a mix of like Rubenet Odor is in there, Jorge Mateo, Kelvin Gutierrez, Chris Owings. Jemai Jones is around, but he got demoted. Like there's all that kind of stuff. So Jesse, if I ask you right now, who do you think will play the most innings for the Orioles at second base specifically? Who do you think that's going to be in 2022 for the Orioles? Um, you know, I'm going to say uh, Jemai Jones, even though wow. he's not going to be on the roster immediately. But yeah, I have Jemai Jones. <laughs> you don't sound super confident in that. I, I'm sticking to it. No, I'm sticking <laughs> to it. No, I mean, I, it, it's weird that I'm picking someone who's not uh, not on the roster. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see Odor doing it. And I think Mateo's going to be playing shortstop predominantly. So, I mean, there is Vavra, who's a possibility. But I think Jones is going to get more time ultimately 
Okay. Eli, you, uh, you're pondering. Yeah, mi- <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll wait for the next questions and that will answer itself. Okay. I, for me, the, <laughs> for me, the answer is Ramon Urias. Um, wow. Yeah, I think oh, that's diff- he, yeah. he takes over second base for Odor pretty early in the season. I think that they like Mateo more at shortstop. Um, but I see... Urias spending probably like 60% of his time playing second base and maybe 40% playing short. And I think that is enough to, I, I fully predict him to be one of the Orioles most productive players throughout the entire season. So I think he will bounce around between those two spots and I think he'll mostly settle out at second base and take that cake. Take that cake. That's, that's interesting. So the, it, it makes sense what you're saying, but so I have him playing third base most of the time, right? Uh, that, rather than that, that was base. what I was gonna ask. So, yeah. yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I think I'm with Eli here on Ramon Urias, um, mm-hmm. just because I think I, I don't know if that's where he's gonna start the year at second base because I think I could see him playing a lot of third base as well, um, but I think just he fits at second base for some reason in my head physically like second base is where Ramon Urias plays baseball for some reason (laughs) he's got like the hitting profile of a second baseman he plays like a solid defense over there whereas I think he's a little stretched at short and at third I think offensively he doesn't fit although I know that doesn't really matter just in my brain that's I was gonna say who who on our team fits it nobody that's nobody (laughs) (laughs) right exactly no he doesn't but I I think that's that's what I'm going to go with. I like Ramon Urias over there. Do that. And you guys mm. care to guess who led the team in second base innings last year? Mm. So it's, yeah, none, it's none of the players we've mentioned. It wasn't Rio Ruiz, was it? It was not it Rio was, Ruiz. He was gone way too early. He was, yeah. um, <laughs> he was fifth. Um, wow. That's a good question. Um, I was I don't know was it Mateo? No, it couldn't have been Mateo. He's yeah. no longer in the organization. So Ruiz is kind of on the track, but it's not him. Oh, Freddie Galvez? No, at second base, uh, no. Yeah, no, he only played short. Do you want me to just give it we to did. you? Yeah, just sure. give it. We're uh, embarrassing it was, ourselves here. <laughs> it, was, it was Pat Valeka. Oh my god, uh, he he played five hundred and five innings. 505 and a third innings at second base. Second was Ramon Urias with 212 and a third or, and two thirds. More than hmm. twice as much. What I was going to say. Yeah, I, I, I think I tried to block out Pat Vileka, like playing second base, you know. Yeah, so, I, yeah. yeah. That guy no longer exists in my mind. He's not a real yeah. human being. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's harsh, but okay. Yeah, it was a little much. <laughs> Oh Pat, we miss you. We don't really. I know. We we definitely were hyping you up prior to last you, year, though. Hey, but... <laughs> you were really excited about him, Tyler could, in particular. Yeah, he hit well in 2020, but last year yeah. just disappeared. But it just yeah. it just broke our hearts. Yeah. All right, let's move over. Let's go to third base. You know, go to the posi- fourth position to the fifth position. Third base, Jesse. So you think Urias yeah, is that, at third? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Okay. No explanation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, We've I think like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that there is, I, I guess my main thinking and why I have him more at third is because second base, there are more options for the Orioles 
And I think the Orioles are going to want more uh, like they are going to want to find a place for him to play more consistently and more routinely. So the fact that Gutierrez is really his only real competition over at third base, the fact that, you know, Vavra, the fact that Jones, the fact that Chris Owings, they all might be factors and Odor might be factors at second base. Mm -hmm. Um, and they might get they the four of them combined should get some decent playing time over at second base right Um, I think the Orioles are going to feel more confident just having uh, him play over at third and just be like okay overall you know maybe Gutierrez gets in a few games here and there but overall this is your spot and you're going to take over that position and then it's going to be more of a revolving door over at second I think that makes sense. I mean, I will say, I think Urias plays third on opening day. I just don't think that he'll get the bulk of the innings at third throughout the year. Um, so I'll, I'll Who do you think does? I, oh. I think I think it's Gutierrez. I think it's going to be Gutierrez. I just think defensively, he's pretty good over there. Mm-hmm. And he is. I, that's hard to replicate. And he's always had a good reputation as a defender, even as a prospect. Um, and there's just nobody clearly going to come up soon enough to get more innings than him at third mm-hmm. base. I think you'll see a lot of guys play third at some point. I, I'm sure Bannon will be up and play some third. I think Odor might play a little third, even though he's already said he was uncomfortable there last year with the Yankees where he played a lot of time or spent a lot of time. Um, Vavra might might play third. Um, but I think, yeah, Gutierrez is, is going to get the bulk of them. Well, and that's that's his only position, really. Like, he, he either doesn't start or he's the third baseman, basically. So. Yeah, he's, he's played some first this spring, but, I mean – that's not a long-term position for him. Yeah. Yeah. Eli, how about you? Yeah. I I agree with Gutierrez. I think that, um, yeah, I I, I don't think that Odor does enough to really take away meaningful innings from Urias at second. I think that Odor will spell both of them. I think it will happen more often at third base just because Gutierrez is a weaker hitter. So maybe, you get Odor in there on days when, um, yeah, you, you know, on days when you're facing a right-handed pitcher, yeah. um, or it could be a situation where on those days ODS does slide over and Odor will slot in at second base um, to spell Gutierrez. But I think, yeah, day in day out, I think it's Gutierrez's job. Okay, fair enough. And uh, last year it was our. You, you, we know who led the innings at third base last year, don't you? Michael Franco, our good that friend. one checks out. Didn't know that one. <laughs> Gutierrez was second. Uh, okay, moving on to shortstop. This uh, is a position that uh, the Orioles had locked down for the last couple seasons by just signing a veteran, putting them there, <laughs> and they magically were like amazing. Uh, it was Jose Iglesias in 2020, Freddie Galvis last year. Um, Eli, who do you have at spending most of the time at shortstop this year for the Orioles? I have Mateo. I think that's a. Uh... Pretty clear cut at this point. You know, he's clearly the fastest, most athletic. Um, he's got the arm to handle it over there. Uh, and, y- yeah, he's got the range. I think they're still trying to develop his, you know, his footwork to an extent. But um, he can make it happen. You know, he's athletic enough to get to every ball and make a play on it. Um, and I think that his bat, you know, we will struggle with on the podcast and we'll talk about it a couple of times, but I think, you know, he'll be good enough to hold it down most of the year. 
Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I like I, I he was so exciting when he came over. He had that injury that kind of ended his season, but he was so exciting. You got to get him in the lineup somehow. And I think of the players on the roster, he just fits the best at shortstop. And like I said, I don't think there's I think next year we're going to have we're going to learn some good things about shortstop for the future of the Orioles with Westberg or Henderson or whoever. Um, but that's just not going to happen this year. So I see Mateo as well. Um, Jess, how about you? Totally agree. Yeah. I think that's like the most clear cut one, um, but there will inevitably be like a two or three week stretch where he's going to really struggle. And I think <laughs> that that might get challenged for a little bit, but um, yeah, I think that's, that's fair. Um, all right. How about in the bullpen? Who do you think is going to lead the team in saves? Who's going to be the de facto closer for the Orioles? They Tyler Wells kind of did a lot last year at the end of the season. He's going to be in the rotation to start the year. They've already said that. So Jesse, who, what Orioles pitcher is going to lead them in saves? Mm. Uh, so I think there's a good chance that, uh, it's, it's going to be Tate, uh, that gets it. Uh, I mean, there is a case to be made for Scott and there's even a case to be made for Wells too, that, you know, Wells eventually winds up back in the back end of the bullpen and ends up with the most saves at the end of the year. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think, uh, as far as Tate, like, you know, he has been a little inconsistent, but, you know, he definitely has the stuff to be a closer. Um, part of his inconsistency has been due to injuries. So, um, I, I think there's a good chance that he can, um, yeah, hold it down pretty consistently at the back end of the bullpen. Uh, of course, I do think there will be rough stretches for him where, you know, it's going to be a few weeks where, you know, it'll be a closer by committee thing or something like that. But um, I definitely think uh, I think Tate has a good chance uh, to, to, to do that. So. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that's we'll kind of, that is kind of a dark horse uh, pick. I think yeah. I have in mind somebody else, but Eli, I'll let you go first. I won't lie. I, I think I'm actually also on the Dylan Tate train. Mm. Um, and the reason is I think that Cole Sulcer will be running away with it for the first part of the year. And then I think we'll, he'll get traded. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, I, I kind of see Dylan Tate. I, I think that Sulcer will definitely be the most effective piece in our bullpen. Um, and I think that he will be used as such, which most of the time we'll put him in the ninth inning. Uh, but I think that, you know, his timeline to free agency works really well with the Orioles timeline, but his timeline to old age does not, um, you know, he's already like 32 years old. And mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that he's going to lose some productivity in the next, you know, in future years. So I think the Orioles capitalize on him while, uh, while the iron is hot, so to speak. Uh, and I think we trade him at the deadline and then Dylan Tate, is the guy who takes over. I, I I was struggling with this between him and Tanner Scott. I think that Scott just is a little bit too unreliable. And I think that Tate is still improving a little bit. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. I, I think you kind of alluded to what I'm thinking, which is I think it will be Cole Salser um, because I don't know how many save opportunities the Orioles are going to have as a group. So if he does get a big (laughs) lead, he might just keep it. Um, And he's definitely going to be the guy I think that Brandon Hyde can rely on the most. I know the closer uh, project with him in 2020 did not go well. We learned he had like broken his toe or something, had some kind of foot injury, just pitched through and then was really good last year. 
Um, I think they go back to that well. And I do think he's like potentially the biggest piece to move for the Orioles this year in terms of return, just because he's got years of control. He's been good. Everybody needs bullpen help. So I hear you there, but I think even if he gets traded, he'll get a big enough lead um, to have the save crown for the Orioles last year. (laughs) He tied for the most saves on the team last year with eight. Uh, The other pitcher that had eight was Cesar Valdez. Um, There were four other pitchers that got saves last year. It was Tyler Wells with four, Dylan Tate with three, Paul Fry with two and Adam Plutko with one. That is just so embarrassing. It is so embarrassing. Like you could just look at our saves and like, be like, well, they they clearly didn't have a good year this year, you know, right? Yeah, twenty six so. total saves, no saves for Tanner Scott, um, which yeah. is surprising. But then you remember he was, I don't know, that the last like two months of the season he fell apart, so it's not, I guess, super surprising. Um, okay, cool. Um, so who do we think is going to be traded? Uh, Eli, you already kind of said Cole Salser. Is he the only one you think will be traded, or are there any other names in particular? Uh, I I think this is Santander's year to go. I don't necessarily like it. Um, I definitely – I think I see, like, more potential in him than most people do. Uh, and, it, I mean, to me, it's obviously about health. I think everyone agrees with that. But I think when he is healthy, he is – you know, a top 30% of the league hitter. And I think he's really something pretty special. But that said, I think he puts together a pretty good first half. We see Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom, these guys ready to come up. And we are more than happy to trade Santander, get some good pieces back, and maybe, you know, keep Austin Hayes in the lineup a little bit more, not necessarily at DH. Um, and yeah, I think DJ Stewart somehow makes it through the whole year, even though I want him gone. I think we just keep <laughs> him around. <laughs> but yeah, Santander is my guy to go along and with Salser. Okay, and you think Mancini stays? I do think Mancini stays. I think that. Um, I guess we'll chat about it a little bit later, but mm-hmm. the mutual option I think is a bone thrown to Orioles fans. I think that Mancini will be here this year and be gone by the next <laughs> that's that's understandable okay um so jesse what are your thoughts on trade pieces Who's so go? uh i think the orioles are gonna have learned from not trading paul fry at the deadline last uh uh last year so i think paul fry is gonna go this year um so that's one pre- i think Salser will go um i as far as uh I think Santander, I, I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't see it happening in the middle of the season. I would see that more as a, an off-season uh, uh, trade that gets worked out rather than dur- in the middle of the season. Uh, just because, I, I mean, for one, uh, you know, Santander is probably going to, like the Orioles are going to expect uh, a team to be acquiring him basically as a starting position player, a starting outfielder. Um, I think that's where the Orioles like are going to have their price at. And I just, I mean, of course, injuries happen and stuff like that, but trying to trade like a starting right fielder and seeing the market be as, uh, um, seeing, trying to see the market be as, uh, I guess, intriguing as what the Orioles would be looking for. I just don't see it happening. 
Um, so I don't think Santander ends up going, but um, definitely, I mean, of course, kind of like you were saying, Tyler, like you always look at the bullpen first for pieces that are going to get moved. So mm-hmm. I think Salser Fry, I think Tanner Scott is a possibility if he puts up a good first half. Um, so, I mean, I think he's he's definitely not likely or even uh, definitely not definitive to be traded or necessarily even likely. But I do think he's a possibility. Um, and then as far as position players, like, I mean, I could see like the Orioles just trying to free up infield space and maybe trading Owings uh, if he does end up playing infield or trading uh, Odor, uh, you know, later down the season. So um, I also think those are possibilities, too. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you got to think about like what other teams you're going to view as valuable, too. And I don't right. know that. Odor Owings is going to be viewed as that. Um, they're I not do... viewed as valuable now. So <laughs> right, yeah. real, Owings was a that's minor why they're league. here. Yeah. yeah, Owings was a minor league deal, and Odor we were probably well, maybe the only team that was going to offer him a, a major league contract, um, or at least like significant playing time. And that remains to be seen if he even makes the opening day roster, which some people think might not happen. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the bullpen is a smart place to sh- to start. Uh, we saw a couple of years ago where uh, Elias traded like Michael Givens, Richard Blyer, Miguel Castro, like boom, 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 like the three biggest arms. So he's clearly not scared to empty out that back end of the bullpen and he feels he can replenish it. Um, so Salser feels like a good one. And I think that Paul Fry will bounce back, back and go. Um, and then as far as position players, um, I think DJ Stewart might go. Now I don't think the ret- I don't think the return is going to be huge, but I could see him having like a hot couple weeks. And you know the NL has the DH now, and you could see some team being like, "Oh yeah, we really want like that lefty kind of power bat with good on base, but like not much else there." Kyle Schwarber was like good. I mean, Kyle Schwarber's got a better tracker than DJ Stewart does, but DJ Stewart has kind of a similar profile to Kyle Schwarber that if you could kind of catch that in a bottle that can get you a couple wins, a couple clutch home runs. And I think DJ Stewart could go for like, you know, two teenager Dominican players that the Orioles like love to get all the time. So I kind of see that happening. Um, But I think I like what you said, Eli, about the Mancini thing. Um, I don't know what he's really going to be worth to another team because he wasn't that great last year, considering the positions he can play first base DH. And I guess technically corner outfield, he was about an average bat there. And I don't know that a team's going to give up a ton to get that. Um, I think one player we haven't talked about that some people will think will get traded is John Means. Um, I don't think he goes during the season. I think if the Orioles trade him, that's something that happens in the offseason. I think trading your staff ace is a big deal, especially one with a ton of years left or a few, three, or two, two years plus of control left um, is a lot. So I don't expect that to happen. Um, and clearly you guys don't expect that either, but Jesse, you're kind of shaking your head. You're yeah. Not I mean, I, I, I definitely think it's a possibility. I mean, it, it's one of the situations where if he puts up a first half, like he did last year without getting hurt before the deadline. Right. Um, I mean, I definitely can see this as, uh, I mean, even if he doesn't put up as good a first half, right. But he puts up a, a very, very solid first half. Right. I mean, I definitely think, right, it's kind of like an argument Eli made a long time ago where it's like, okay, you know, the best teams in the league 
are going to be looking at the bottom teams in the league and trying to pry away their best pitcher, right? And that for the Orioles is John Means. I think the Orioles probably have enough concerns over his health, over his age, et cetera, that they're not like if they get the right deal for him, that they're not going to to just hold on to him regardless, right? So I think the Orioles are definitely uh would be willing to entertain uh, offers for him. And I, I think there's also a possibility that, you know, uh, teams looking around, you know, especially, um, you know, with the expanded playoff, right? I mean, that also adds another possible team into the mix, right? Or a couple teams into the mix that, you know, would say, um, hey, let's try to go get him, um, especially with years of control that he has, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, even if uh, something were not to work out and he, uh, the team that acquired him hoping to get the playoff push out of him, you know, ended up not making the playoffs or, you know, trying to turn whatever team into a World Series contender, you know, um, then uh, they would still have him, you know, for the upcoming yeah. season. So, um, no, I, I didn't mention him, but I definitely think um, like there is a, a good possibility that, that he does end up going. Okay. Eli, do you have any just, thoughts? Yeah, I don't see it. Um, I, I think that the Orioles this year in particular, uh, because we are going to be working some of the like the young stud arms in our system, we are going to start working them into the major league rotation. I think now more than ever, that stability is important. Um, I think that if you look at means, you know, there could be a situation where in the coming off season, after we have, like exercised that stability and we made sure that, you know, Grayson Rodriguez will be in the starting rotation opening day, 2023, you know, and did I say Grayson Rodriguez? Uh, yes, you did. Okay. Okay. In my mind, I thought I said John means, I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Making sure that Grayson Rodriguez will be in the opening rotation, you know, at, at the onset of 2023, making sure that DL Hall is there, making sure that Kyle Bradish is there you know, that's a much more stable situation to build from than what we have this year, whereas we're trying to work them in and we're still finding information on all these people. I think you need to hold on to what little stability you have. And I think John Means represents that and and represents the best bet that the Orioles have for that. So I I, I think it makes more sense to trade him in the offseason than it does here uh, midseason. So, yeah, just to kind of bounce off that, right? So, I mean, I think I mean, I kind of actually really disagree with that analysis, right? I don't think John Means is the kind of guy that you keep just to stabilize a rotation, right? If the Orioles, like, really were interested in stabilizing a rotation, like, they would have signed a couple more Jordan Lyles-type pitchers and then would have, you know, kind of used them um, and relied upon them. So, also, I I mean, I also just think that, like, in terms of the offseason, right – like means does have some injury concerns right so i think a team is much more likely you know to be willing to pay a lot for him midway through the season where you know we only have a couple months left right so he just needs to stay healthy a couple more months rather than relying on him to like last the entire duration of the season if he puts up a good first half then teams will be like okay 
it's only a couple more months. He's been doing really well. Let's just go for it, right? And I think that makes a lot more sense than like a team trying to acquire him in the offseason. And the Orioles, I think, are going to try to maximize his value. And I think that this concern about like stability in the rotation, I mean, stability in the rotation has never bothered the Orioles before. I get that prospects are coming up now and there's a little like serious prospects are coming up now and it's going to be, you know, more of a concern for the Orioles, but I think their priority with means would be to maximize whatever return. And I think that happens now and they're not going to hold on to them just for some sort of stability, you know, in the rotation. I, I just don't think that's a good enough reason to, you know, well, waste well, more of his value, I guess. Okay. So I'm, I, I'm not necessarily convinced that the Orioles trade means at all before we have a competitive team. Like I could see a monitor. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. A, a pretty modest two, three-year extension at the back end as he heads into free agency. So I, I'm not convinced that there's a reason to trade him at all. But I think you are disincentivized from doing so because, you know, like, well, you said if they were interested in stabilizing the rotation that they would have signed a few more Jordan Lyles's. I mean, kind of the whole point of this year is that we don't want to overstabilize right? Because we need spots to be rotating people through. But I I mean, I think you need to make sure that you are not relying on four spots in your rotation, you know, Jordan Lyles counting for one and then another four, you know, with like the Aiken, Zimmerman's, Lothar's, Wells's. You want to give them an opportunity, right? You don't want to block them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I think that it does make sense to stabilize a portion of your rotation. And I think it's like, I don't know. It's not as crazy as you're making it sound. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I think that, I don't know. I think the means will have a lot of value still in the off season and injury concerns or injury concerns, regardless of where you have them. If you trade them mid season and people are worried about injuries, then, you know, the two years plus that he has left of control are going to be less valuable. You know, that's regardless of when you trade them. If people have injury concerns, like then you're paying for, you know, like you're essentially saying you're, they would up the price for a rental, which is not what John means is. So I, I just think that, I don't know, to me, the off season makes more sense. I think we've talked about this for too long, but <laughs> uh, yeah, take it on Tyler. I mean, I'll just give my two cents real quick, just because kind of my take on it is is similar to yours, Eli, um, that I don't think it's a trade that would happen this year. I'm not saying that r- rumors will probably pop up, because why not? Why wouldn't the Orioles listen and people will get upset? Of course. Um, that I don't think he goes this year because, look, he's under team control through 2024. If the Orioles aren't putting a competitive team on the field by 2024, I think something has gone catastrophically wrong. Um, so I think this year is the year to, like I've said, I said already, find out about the pitching. Kyle Bradish is going to be up this year. Grayson Rodriguez is going to be up. Deal Hall is going to be up. You see what those guys have because being a top 100 prospect, being the top pitching prospect in baseball as Rodriguez is, doesn't guarantee you anything. But if Rodriguez comes up and looks like the dude and Deal Hall comes up and shows, oh yeah, he can be a starter. And Bradish comes up and goes like, yeah, like I am that back end rotation piece that's going to throw. 180 innings again a year and give you a 4.5 ERA. Like now the Orioles have a rotation all of a sudden with John means in it that you can start dreaming a little bit about 2024 being like a year 
where some things happen. So I think the Orioles want to get those guys up, see what they've got, and then think a little bit about what is John Means' value to this organization? Is it as a mid-rotation piece that, you know, theoretically Grayson Rodriguez is, is leading the way at the top, Means is in the middle somewhere, and the Orioles are pushing for the playoffs in 2024? Or is John Means more valuable as a good pitcher who we trade this offseason to a contender for a couple more prospects that we think or that are major league ready or close to it that can fill in his bullpen pieces or infielders or whatever. So I think that, yeah, there's a lot to learn this year about the pitching staff in general means as part of that. And I just think that it could happen this year. There will be talks this year, but if a trade is going to happen, I think the time for that to happen is next offseason. So I think I'm in alignment with you there, Eli, um, in what the, the plans are for means. But that is based on no inside information. It could be completely wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that. So is everything else we say. So <laughs> very, very true. Um, okay, so that's that. Uh, real quick, we'll do one more little like prediction on, on this kind of scale. Um, which starting pitcher that's not going to be in the opening day rotation do you think will pitch the most innings this year? And we don't need a long explanation, um, but Eli, do you have a name in mind there? Bradish. Yeah, I think I'm in agreement there. Bradish. Uh, Jesse, how about you? Yeah, Bradish. I agree. Wow. It's a clean sweep. Boom. And we're moving. Yeah. Oh, he's going to give I, us an explanation. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, <laughs> D, you know, DL Hall is of course another possibility, but uh, I mean, I think that, uh, there's I, I think you can kind of rely on Bradish more um, and you can kind of expect more innings out of him overall. So um, I think they're going to yeah. be very cautious with DL Hall this year. So yeah, that's my only trepidation there. Right. The injuries. The injuries. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk Orioles awards. Uh, Orioles MVP, pretty self-explanatory. Who is going to be? the most valuable Oriole. I think it was a consensus last year that Cedric Mullins took that. Um, Jesse, do you expect a repeat for Cedric Mullins in that role? I do. Uh, I don't, I think there will be a little bit of regression. I don't think it's going to be the dream 30, 30 season again, but I think he's going to clearly be the Orioles MVP. So uh, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Eli, how about you? Cedric Mullins. Oh, wow. Should I be different? <sighs> Something I feel like Ryan Mountcastle is going to do is going to turn the corner a little bit this year. I think he's was a little bit of a disappointment last year. Didn't really contend for uh, rookie of the year in the same way that I thought he was going to. So I'm going to say uh, Ryan Mountcastle is going to be the MVP. While Cedric Mullins still has a good season, uh, Mountcastle is going to be like a three or four win player this year. What? Why do you think Mountcastle was a disappointment last season? Well, he wasn't as good as he was in 2020. He was mm-hmm. fine, but right. he wasn't quite at the heights that he was in 2020. And I think that got a lot of people excited and he was going to be like this runaway superstar. And mm-hmm. I don't know that Mountcastle ever really was going to be that player, but you know, yeah. you get people thinking that. And I do still think he's like a solid middle of the order type hitter, somewhere like four to six in your order. And he's going to hit you like 30, 35 bombs, but yeah, I, I think the, the obviously, you know, the big the big problem with what you're saying is just the the defensive value, right, that they both bring. So mm-hmm. I think like even like Mountcastle would have to hit so much better 
than Mullins in order to be an overall better player. And, right. uh, and, uh, and the thing is like, you know, I definitely think like, don't get me wrong. I do feel confident in Mountcastle's ability to hit. Right. But I do think there is something about Mullins's tools that are more reliable overall. Sure. It's so, yeah. what I, what I would say to that is Mountcastle is not going to play the outfield this year. So right. that's automatically boosting what his overall value is. He's probably going to hit a little better than he did last year. He was always sort of a top tier prospect. Mullins, I mean, not there's numbers there that suggest he's not going to regress too terribly much, but he also was like, not that long ago, was one of the worst players in baseball. So like, I, I love Cedric Mullins. I think he is here to stay as a major league player and potentially a gold glove caliber defender. But offensively, you know, we know that he's had issues in the past. So, you know, like you said, a 30-30 season probably isn't going to happen again. I hope it does. Right. Um, but that's just my 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 thing there is I, I'm not I'm not sold on him being like a perennial all-star type. Whereas I think Mountcastle with playing just like basic first base defense will hit better. And that value is going to go up to like a three or a four win type of a player for this year. Mm-hmm. Maybe not for forever, but that's just my, my guess. And do we have any, just really quickly, do we have any dark horse candidates for this title? I think Austin Hayes is a dark horse candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then potentially Mateo or Urias mm-hmm. being dark horse candidates. I mean, Urias, maybe, yeah, maybe I don't see Mateo. No. I think Rutschman okay. is a dark horse candidate if he comes up early <laughs> okay. enough. Definitely. Right. That's but, valid. Um, but yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about an easy one, I think. Uh, Orioles Cy Young. Uh, means. Any, means. <laughs> I think yeah. I, means as well. There's not really means. any other contenders. Unless he gets uh, hurt, maybe a bullpen arm. But right, I, I was going to say I have a, a very uh, dark horse candidate. Uh, very, very dark horse, right? Uh, say it. And, uh dean kramer uh no. would be it no but like <laughs> what no i'm just saying okay like if means let's say like means was out like the majority like if means was not eligible for this for whatever reason like he was hurt for the vast majority of the season um i mean don't get me wrong i understand that it is very likely not to happen um but he has the stuff if it's not going to be a bullpen arm, then, and we're looking at the rotation, I mean, there are not a lot of other guys there, and I could see him taking a, a step forward. So, um, don't get me wrong, a lot would have to happen in order for it to yeah. be Dean Kramer. But okay, if what, I'm looking what around, what is the percentage like, chance know. in your mind that this happens? I don't know, four. <laughs> That's such a weird person. Well, we're saying that. <laughs> well, I don't know what to say. Like, I mean, I mean, who, we like, can all just agree on means, and that can be fun. Yeah, okay. That's fine. I, Dark horse yeah. candidates are fun. Yeah, but... I mean, I think, I think, I think it's kind of important. Well, I don't know. I'm just, I, th- I think it's. It, <laughs> It's important I mean, to make this episode as long do, as possible. That's yeah, I was going to say, is anything we do useful? But, like, I don't know. But, you know, just if it's yeah. not means, if something happens with means, well, who else, right? And I'm looking around. It, it would be like a Jordan, Jordan Lyles well, okay. or something. Because right. like I would take Jordan yeah. Lyles. I would take mm-hmm. Tyler Wells. I would take um, maybe even Bruce Zimmerman over <laughs> Dean Kramer. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I'd okay. take all of them over Dean Kramer. Okay, hundred percent. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Well, we'll see you in six months when Dean Kramer. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm. I'm saying it, it would take a lot, of course, but yeah. He right, has rookie. the stuff to do it. And... Here's an easy one, Jesse. Rookie of the year. <laughs> Who's your rookie of the year? For oh the my gosh! Right. <laughs> um, I'll have to go with Adley Rochford. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a dark horse there? <laughs> no, no dark horses with that. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if I guess if he gets hurt, then I would say Bradish. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, Eli, have a you. You know my answer. I'm yeah, not saying anything. It's got to be Rutschman. It's got to be yeah. Rutschman. All right. We're through that. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about that for a second, though. The future of the Orioles, right? When do you expect the big three, which is Adley, Grayson, and Dio Hall? You don't have to give an exact date necessarily, but when in the year, Eli, do you expect each of them to arrive on the scene? Uh, I think that Adley will be here. I think he's going to take two, three weeks to get healthy at Norfolk. And then I think first week of May, he's up. Um, DL Hall, I think they're going to be super careful with. They will stretch him out slowly. Um, and I think we'll see him in, let's go like back end of July, maybe early August. And I think that Grayson Rodriguez, they're just going to be super careful with his innings. So I think he stays down for at least two months at AAA, uh, just throwing five innings per start and maybe a little bit extra in the tunnel or something. And then I think we see him around June. And you think D.L. Hall will come up as a starter or in a relief? I think D.L. Hall comes up as a starter. Yeah. Okay. Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of exactly what Eli said, right? I'm looking at the three of them. I see one coming up at the beginning. That's Rutschman. One coming up in the middle of the year. That's Hall. And one coming up at the end of the year. And that's Rodriguez. You flipped Hall and Rodriguez from me. (laughs) Yeah, he had Rodriguez earlier. uh Yeah, and no, I think that's yeah. Rodriguez is healthy. I have Hall, Hall Hall's health, but is healthy. But yeah, um, yeah, I think Adley's going to be up really fast. I some people have speculated online that if he wasn't hurt, he would have made the opening day roster, and I think that's fair. Um, so you I think, think Ad- that's fair. I, I thought know. I thought you said you thought that wasn't happening because of the manipulation of service. Well, time. it's it's not going to happen now because he's been hurt, so they can avoid well, right, the whole but, thing. But but you were you saying said if, that didn't. Yeah, if 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 he wasn't hurt and had a healthy spring, I think he would have been good enough that it would have been impossible for them good to enough, good enough doesn't mean anything. Well, I know. <laughs> I know. They could have done what what didn't the the Pirates are sending down their prospects and their Neil Cruz, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think Adley will be up I think he'll be up before the end of April. Well, okay. we only have, we only have two three weeks in April. So I'll say yeah, I think I agree with you. Um I, I agree with everything Eli said basically. I'll just copy what Eli said. I think that's <laughs> all that needs to be said because that makes perfect sense. Um, and do you guys have any like expectations there on performance, Eli, on the, of those three? I think Adley's a stud. I, I I have bought in fully. I think there will be maybe like a month's adjustment period, and then he will turn into like a one ten OPS plus kind of guy, and will wow. handle his business behind the plate right away. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, do you want to share your thoughts on the other two or just uh, the other two? I, I think Grayson does well. I think people will be surprised when he throws a fastball at the top of the zone at a hundred and it gets hit out 415 feet. <laughs> it's going to happen. Um, you know, like he was able to get by on velocity and I think there will be some refinement 
but I think by the time that August and September come around, he's going to be really, he's going to be rolling. Uh, DL Hall, the command issues, I think he might um, be up and down a couple of times, but I think he finishes out the year on a high note too. Okay. Jess, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of in agreement. I mean, I think you're a little optimistic on Adley immediately or a little, you know, I would temper that a little bit uh, from what you're saying. But um, I think he's going to be a very, you know, I think he's going to be a top third catcher in the league, you know, when he gets up or, you know, give it a month and he'll be a top third catcher without a doubt. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the other guys, yeah, I think I think Hall is going to have some rough stretches. Uh, you know, the command is is obviously his problem. And but I, you know, I do think like he is going to show glimpses of his ability and I think he's going to put together some good streaks, too. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think what Eli said about Rodriguez was on point. So, yeah, I think everything you guys are saying is right. Um so I won't I won't reiterate it too much. I, I could say I could see a scenario where Grayson struggles, quote unquote, a little bit in his his for his standards, I guess, where he's not not going to be like shutting down teams for five innings every time. He'll have some like four innings, two and two earned runs type of outings. So it's not going to be like super clean. I think next year is where Grayson really like starts to impress. And I could see DL Hall like outperforming him for a little bit, just because DL Hall's repertoire is like very unique from the left side that's a sure. slider and all that stuff. Whereas Grayson is super good, but it's a little more common for what you see in the, in the majors, but it does, it works long-term whereas DL gets, he'll get wild and, and put some people on himself. So I could see a scenario where DL is like a little more impressive this year than Grayson is, but I would expect that script to kind of flip uh, long-term. Um. Okay, sticking with prospects, uh, talk about let's talk about prospects that are not in the top 100. So this is not Adley, not Grayson, not DL, not Cowser, not um, who uh, Henderson. Gunner. Yeah, there none of those guys. Who do you think is going to have the largest impact on the big league roster uh, this year, um, Eli? I guess I'll go to you first again. I'm on the Felix Batista train. Wow, I think uh, I have him in the opening day roster in the bullpen. I think that he is just a solid contributor the entire season and uh, he's going to walk some guys, but he's going to strike some out, uh, you know, 98 to a hundred plays pretty much wherever you are. So yeah. Team Bautista. That's fair. Um, Jesse. Yeah. So I definitely match Eli's excitement about Bautista, uh, but I think Bradish is going to have the biggest impact. Um, I mean, I think there's going to be uh, a, you know, we have some some of the infield guys listed here. I mean, I think Bradish is going to have the opportunity cut out for him in the rotation. I think Bautista will, too, in the bullpen. But I guess I'm just giving Bradish the edge because we're going to need him more. Uh, we're going to need a, a good rotation piece more than we're going to need a good bullpen piece. And, um, yeah, so I'm giving it to Bradish. But I definitely match Eli's excitement about Bautista. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, Jesse, on the Bradish part. Um, j- just starters are so much more not, I guess important is the word, but they're just they're like they're like the sexy part of the pitching staff, right? They're the guys that <laughs> you write the storylines about, they throw, they battle throughout the night or whatever it is. And the Oriole, we're as a fan base so hungry for any sort of legitimacy 
on the pitching staff front and the starter front that Braddish coming up and being like mediocre will be incredible. <laughs> mediocre by major league standards will be a, a revolutionary. Um, so I think I see that as well. They're, they've already, they're not bringing him with the major league club on opening day, but he's staying in Florida to build up. That sounds a little bit like let's do the service time manipulation game, get him up as soon as possible and get him into the rotation. Um, so I think we see him early and we see him for a long time. Whereas Batista, I can see some, some struggles there. He might get, you know, optioned a couple times. The bullpen is always in flux. So um, I agree with you there, Jesse. Um, the last bit of business we want to talk about is just uh, a news thing that came through or a news event that came through uh, this weekend. The Orioles have finally avoided arbitration with Trey Mancini. Uh, they, had, they had said they were going to do the file and trial because they could not come to an agreement by uh, the deadline a few weeks ago. Um, but they will not do that. Instead, they're going to pay Trey Mancini $7.5 million uh, in 2022. And then there is a mutual option for 2023 worth $10 million or a $250,000 buyout, making um, the minimum he'll make overall that whole deal will be $7.75 million. Um, the Orioles are not going to pick up that mutual option, but it's nice that, no. it's, <laughs> it's, nice that it's thrown in there. Um, Eli, you kind of said something earlier about throwing a bone to the fan base. So what's kind of your take on this, uh, this agreement? Yeah, I think the, I don't know, for one thing with the $250,000 buyout, this like brings the total value of the deal to 7.75, which is closer to what Mancini had asked for than what the Orioles had proposed in arbitration. Uh, so you can kind of look at it as it's a means of getting him, you know getting closer to the salary that he had asked for so that it was easier to come to a deal you know it can be looked Mm -hmm. at in as simple terms as that I think that it gives the fans some hope you know so like the mutual option is kind of nice for them while also making that business sense that we just talked about and I think that I yeah just in the long run I you know it hurts me because I love Trey so much but I really just do not see a situation in which he is on this team next year. You know, we have Mount Castle holding down first base duties. We have a bunch of good legitimate outfielders. And so we need that DH spot, <clears throat> excuse me. We need that DH spot constantly open and free to be Adley rotating might, these guys through the lineup. Adley might DH some. Right. right. Adley might DH some. Adley will probably play first base a little bit too, you know, just to keep him fresh. I, I, I think there's really just no spot for Trey Mancini on this team. You know, he is so unbelievably valuable as a clubhouse leader, and I get that, but I just don't know where you play him in 2023. So I just don't see the option being picked up. And, and what I'll say is if Trey has a season like he did in 2019 – Trey's not going to pick up the option because he's going to be worth more than $10 million. So I just don't, yeah, it's tough to see a scenario where it makes sense for both sides to pay Trey Mancini $10 million next year. Um, Eli or Jesse, do you have a different read here? Well, I mean, the one thing I was thinking about is just like, I mean, how bad this would have looked like from a PR perspective for the Orioles to go into arbitration, right. With Trey Mancini and not settle. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think there was, hopefully there was some good pressure on the Orioles for having to do that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and and the difference in what their proposals was was like six hundred thousand dollars, right? And the Orioles weren't willing to give them the six hundred thousand; they were going to go to arbitration over it. Go ahead. Okay, so so let me say one thing: that this is something that a lot of people do not recognize. These numbers are not exchanged, like before arbitration. Basically, they are right. They're secret, right? Yeah, they're filed and. You know, the team did not know that Trey Mancini wanted only 600000 more. Um, you know, like, I'm sure they had Well, some, but they still negotiate that. Right. They had some contract talks, but, you, you know, the, the actual number that is filed, everyone's like, they're, you know, going to arbitration over $600,000. And I'm sure they had some conversations, but I, I'm not convinced that you know, that that like final number was ever truly discussed, you know, because that that value is going to be smaller than what Trey Mancini was negotiating for because he has the ability. Yeah. Right. Right. I I mean, you have to make the more reasonable filing. No, that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, just to kind of highlight the process, like in more detail, right. Like Mancini could have been asking them for eight and a half million and maybe he wasn't budging on that. You know, that was like his number or whatever. Right. And yeah, you, the, the arbitration process, what happens is like the arbitrator ends up picking one side, one number or the other. Right. So it basically forces you know, both sides to kind of be reasonable, right. To, to kind of moderate what they're asking for a little bit. Right. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely get that. Although whatever the, whatever the amount was, if it was more than like the $600,000, I mean, you know, for the Orioles, right. It It's, you know, relatively small relative to what, you know, Trey Mancini means, you know, to the Orioles and to the fans and the organization overall. So yeah, right. I, I, I know you're not disagreeing with that. Um, so, right. So I'm just saying it would have been, I think it would have been a really bad look had the Orioles like gone through arbitration with him um, and gone through the entire process and, and, you know, tried to make it basically uh you know, more or less a war, right? Like it's either your side that's going to win or it's our side. Right. So um, I'm glad that that ended up being avoided um, overall. So, but yeah, in terms of what you were saying about Mancini being on the team next year, I mean, yeah, I I don't even, I'm kind of, I, I don't even get, yeah, maybe it is just like throwing a bone to the fans, like getting them possibly excited or whatever, but I don't get how that e- the $10 million option even made it into, and it's a mutual option too, you know? Um, well, what, I, what I, I'll I say is really I don't really understand how that made I it. I think what, like what Eli just said about the arbitration process, I think a lot of fans, especially casual fans, don't comprehend the arbitration thing at all. Because you'll see, if you see it posted online that, especially on Facebook, because it's a nightmare. Um, <laughs> they'll, they'll post something like we've signed so-and-so to a contract. And then all the comments are like, yes, like, this is so awesome. Like we loved, we love him. I'm so glad he's back. It's like people being like, they just clearly don't understand. Like Trey Mancini was going to be back next year, but saying that we've signed him to a contract and posting it on social media sounds good, feels good, all that. And saying, oh, there's an option for next year. That feels good too. So like the people that really follow baseball clearly understand that there is almost zero chance this option gets picked up. But the general Orioles fan that loves Trey Mancini 
is very happy about this is what I would say. So I think what Eli is saying makes sense, but clearly he's not going to be playing next year in Baltimore on that contract. I mean, isn't it just deferring it though? Like, because eventually Mancini will probably be like, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for the $10 million option. And well, then the Orioles are going to be like, no, well, sorry. You know, well, so yeah, like yeah. from a PR perspective, is that even helping the Orioles at all to I, put the option in there? I think it definitely long-term? helps. I think it definitely helps when, you know, when you're saying goodbye to Trey, you can say, well, we've got Grayson Adley, DL Hall, you know, Kyle Braddish, yeah, you know, right. all, all these new There's exciting no players. Room. And yeah. this is like the next, you know, these are the new faces of the franchise. This like, is who you'll I, love, love now. Trey. <laughs> right. But yeah, literally. I Look mean, at D.L. Hall's the guys, hair. Right? <laughs> <laughs> these are the guys who are going to be on the banners outside Camden Yards on the light posts, you know? The, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that wraps up our, our preview of the 2022 Baltimore Orioles. Oh no! Do we want to do? We want to do our rosters real quick. Do we want to run through that? I know we've gone long here. Let, let Let's throw those on social media. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll like post make a nice graphic and put it on Twitter and everything. I mean, do, do we want to? Uh, I mean, the only thing I was thinking about is like, do we want to just like highlight any quick points of disagreement? Well, or... we'll do. We'll, we'll what Eli said. I think is good. And what we'll do okay. is we'll if you look at the description of the episode or if you're looking at a Substack or whatever, I'll link to it as well. So Perfect. you can you can link to the spreadsheet, and then we can make up a graphic to put it on on our socials, and it gives you a reason to go follow us on our socials, which are at the warehouse pod on uh, mostly Twitter. We do have an Instagram, but Twitter is, is the main one. So check us out over there. Um, and yeah, like I said, at the very top, subscribe to us. And uh, we're going to, now that the season's going, we're going to try and get on a better cadence this year, week, week to week, uh, just a heads up, like our schedules are hectic. So occasionally we're going to have to record episodes ahead of time. Um, but we are planning to in general release episodes on Monday mornings. Um, so just keep that in mind. We'll put caveats, uh, at the top of any episodes that that applies to. So we might miss some games in between recording and release. Um, But yeah, just to give you a heads up. um, Yeah. Anything else you guys want to tell the fans, the fans, the listeners, the friends to go do? I'm good. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for joining us for this hour plus. (laughs) Yes. uh, Our next episode or whatever, whatever. I don't know what order they're going to be in. We're going to have a minor league episode coming up here shortly. So check that out. But yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. See you later.